Graphic Policy Radio is back with a brand new episode, and we're going intergalactic planetary with a special guest uh, to discuss an awesome new comic series. But before we get to that, I want to introduce my co-host, Alana. How you doing? Hi. Uh, this has been a really brutal week yet again. Um, it seems like the police state has been going and getting really shot. Um, so I'm glad that we have something good to talk about tonight, or else I'd probably be crying in a corner again. Hey. Yes. Uh. Yeah. And on that up, uh, uh, great upbeat and beginning. On that note. <laughs> All right, so we've got a guest to discuss this really awesome series called Kim and Kim that debuted this week. Uh, it's a new series from Black Mass Studios. It's a story of BFF bounty hunters in space. Uh, it's kind of Cowboy Bebop meets Broad City. Uh, it, it's fantastic. If you haven't read it yet, uh, after the show is over, go and download it online or go and wait outside your comic book shop uh, until they open up in the morning and then go grab a copy. Highly recommend it. Uh, our site rarely agrees, like completely agrees on something. We completely agreed on this one, as we do a lot of Black Mass Studios comics. Uh, but we've got a guest tonight. It's uh, Magdalene Visaggio. Um, is considerably less metal than she lets on. Born in Long Island. She was raised in Richmond, Virginia born, uh, before returning to New York after college. She's a professional marketing writer and has, per- has pursued graduate work in the study of moral philosophy. She seriously loves Riot Girl music and the Beatles. Uh, she's a deeply unhealthy attachment to Star Trek, and even Star Trek made a hell of a lot of news today, too. So maybe we'll discuss that a little bit. Uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, you know, this is a kind of around coming out. All right, I, totally I think we lost Lana. Yeah. Lana, you're a little garbled. Uh, of course, it, as soon as the show goes live, you go garbled. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Take your question, um, if you like. That's why yeah. I called in instead of using my, my computer. <laughs> yeah. Is this better? Yes. Okay. Um, so I was saying, uh, you know, I was so happy to to read this series, and I'm so impressed because this is your debut series. And I'd love to hear, like, <laughs> how did you get started on this? Um, okay. So there's not, like, a big idea behind Kim and Kim. It wasn't like, you know, if you re- look at something like, like um, I don't know, Wicked Divine or Powers or Bitch Planet or something. There's like a really cool, like, core idea behind it that was that's driving the, the creative process. Kim and Kim just kind of evolved really organically. It's a whole bunch of different kinds of things that I've wanted to do in storytelling for a while, all kind of just rolled into one. I sort of describe this as the throwing a bunch of crap into a pot approach to cooking, um, which is the only thing I know how to do with cooking, too, is just dumping spices in until it eventually tastes good. Um, but, like, this book is really just, like, um, I've always wanted to do, you know, just a couple of people bumming around in space. I like rock subcultures and playing with that. Um, I've wanted to do something where someone hits people with a guitar, frankly. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I've wanted to do ever since I saw Fully Cooley in college, um, that that book, like, really, pardon, that show really stuck with me in this really massive way. Um, I like road stories. Um, I wanted to do a buddy series. 
you know, it's like there's just a whole bunch of different kinds of things that I was interested in doing that all sort of found their way into this book as I was developing it. Because, like, originally the whole idea was just I had a title. Um, I was, like, waiting in line at, like, Starbucks behind a couple of, like, teenager girls who were hanging out, and they were both named Kim because, like, you ever hear them talking. And I was like, that's a fun title, Kim and Kim. I could see that working. So it, it's not hmm. like the most impressive origin story. But the concept is so catchy. I mean, like, if people are going to read one, uh, you know, Queer Girls in Space, Bounty Hunters, Punk Pop series, like, and they, they really do only need one, and this is it. Like, then this is the one they need to be reading. Are there others? Well... There's one I won't mention it by name right now, but I, oh. I, you know, one of the things that was so cool about you being the writer on this is there's a, there's a scene that's like a very much a girl talk scene where two heroines are hanging out on the roof of their van, which is like I, the, the Contessa, their space van. You, you got to love that. And there was just something about their girl talk that was so real and so familiar to me and that I don't feel like, I would have gotten from a writer who, you know, hadn't been there and had the girl talk to herself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. I mean, um, I actually really labored over that, that one scene for a really long time. Um, probably longer than I've spent on any other single scene I've ever written. Um, it was actually getting changed right up until it went to press. There was, huh. um, yeah, it originally ended in a really different way. And um, we, I just kept, Speaking it to like the core, it's like not like the core of it ever changed. Like just making sure the dialogue was like flowing naturally and that things weren't coming out forced. Um, that kind of thing. Like like uh, I mean, it was tweaked. It's not like I was rewriting it dramatically. But um, yeah, that's like my that was my favorite scene of the book. And and when I when I got there, that's when I fell in love with the chemist myself. Mm. That's cool. That's cool. And and I felt like, you know, we, we already we only have one issue, but we have a sense of what these different these two main characters' motivations are. We like get what's up with the their boy counterparts, including a former love interest slash current it's complicated, I suppose. And like you established the whole world in just like one one short issue. Had you written short fiction before? Had you written other comics? Oh, yeah, so this is definitely not my first comic. I had a seven-issue series that's, I guess, technically still ongoing, but I've left that project called Stronghold, um, which I do not recommend people read. Um, It was, was, it's really rough because, like, I was, like, working on that is when I first, like, got really serious about writing comics, and it's a really, um, there's a definite in my ability to tell a story as you as you move down that line. And then last year I did a book called Andrew Jackson in Space, which actually is sort of the immediate <laughs> precursor to Kim and Kim in terms of some of its like basic like structural elements and that it's about like two people bumming around in space. But it's a much different kind of kind of story. But like um the thing is that like when you only have four issues and you go into a pitch, you know, for for creator and series, and you go in there, you pitch four issues, right? Um, you have to make sure that you're telling your story economically, 
So that means you make sure you give people what they need to understand what's going on, and you don't bog them down with unnecessary details. We also don't play mysterious because you don't have time. So the whole issue is really structured around making sure that I was able to impart certain kinds of information along the way so that the basic character motivations of my two characters um, are more fully developed. Um, issue two goes into a little bit more detail on what Kim D's whole deal is and a lot more of her history because issue one does more focus on, on, on Kim Q because that's sort of the immediate mm-hmm. impetus for the action is Kim Q's relation, like fucked up relation with her dad sort of drives the action in, in this issue. It's what impels them to make a, a number of really just shitty decisions um, <laughs> that are... <laughs> what send them on this crazy adventure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've been writing for years. So, like, I was a lit major in college, so I wrote a lot in college. And um, I tried my hand at some short stories. I have a couple of aborted novels. You know, like every other, like, like shitty writer in their 20s, I, like, had a bunch of really crazy big ideas that I didn't have the ability to follow through on. Um, it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I was able to, like, come up with a process by which I was able to actually finish like books you know like and I was able to develop that in, in large part um, with the help of um, my friend Heather Antos who's now an editor at Marvel she wasn't at the time so yeah that was kind of rambling oh, cool. sorry no that's super helpful for real and you know what I I, I, I want to make sure that our listeners who like I mean, everybody should follow you on social media so they can see your smart stuff, but you had written something this week that got compiled into a Storify that, uh, gosh, I should explain what a Storify is, uh, which is a place where you can collect a list of tweets so that it's easy for folks who are reading along on Twitter to get the gist of the conversation. Um, you had written in your Storify, like, about the significance of you as a trans woman writing about a trans female character and the ways that you've seen non-trans, right, cisgendered writers would be the, the term to use, which for folks who don't know would be writers who aren't trans. Um, when they talk about trans characters and the kinds of stories they tell and the places they go wrong and the places they don't, and I was just nodding my head the whole time, and I don't want to be the one who's saying this is a story on this because I'd love to hear you just sort of explain a little bit for our listeners what you were talking about there. Oh, okay, so there's a lot going on in that whole thing, and um, it came a lot out of a conversation I had on another podcast um, that just got kind of had it showing up in my head. Okay, so without trying to criticize anybody in particular, um, I got to thinking about this in particular after the, um, the announcement of this new comic, Alters by Paul Jenkins. Um, I haven't read it, so I'm not talking about the quality of the book. I'm not talking about the quality of the writing. Um, I don't know how well they handle representation, so I just don't want. I just have to put all those disclaimers out there because I don't want mm-hmm. anyone thinking that I'm like trying to like, like criticize a book I haven't read. Um, right. But it got me thinking a lot about how this works. So, so Alters is this book. It's by after, it's coming out from Aftershock, um, which, among other things, deals with a transgender superhero um, who is in the process of her transition when she gets all these superpowers and decides to become a superhero. So the whole concept is she can only be herself when she's not herself, which I'll admit is actually a really cool concept. And Paul Jenkins has, like, mentioned in um, 
press that there was a trans woman who came up with this basic idea, which is totally legit. Like, I can totally see how that works. Um, I'm a little weirded out by the fact that a cis guy is writing that story. So what it comes down to is there's two kinds of stories that involve trans people. And this is a really broad categorization that I just kind of made up, but I still think it, it, it holds true. There's stories in which trans people are present, right? And that's, you know, you have Lumberjanes, you've got Wicked Divine, you've got, you know, Angela, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then you've got trans stories, which are stories in which what matters about the story is the translate of the main character. And that's not a criticism of those kinds of stories because that's a totally valid thing that exists. Like, there are trans stories. Every time I relate stories about my being trans, that's a trans story in which sort of the driving force is this fact about myself, right? Um, so a transition story is a trans story. There's no way around that. The fact that what that story is and why that story is happening at all is because the main character is trans. Um, so I started to get really sort of bothered by the fact that something that's so quintessentially unique, the transgender experience, was being related by a cisgender writer. Now, like, it's great that he's got all these sensitivity consultants on it, but that's not a party he's ever going to be admitted to. And that's okay, because uh-huh. you don't get to be admitted to every party. Like, that's fine. There are parties I'm not admitted to, right? Um, I'm never in my life going to get pregnant. So that's, that's not a party that I'm, that I'm admitted to. You know, I can't write about that experience personally. Um, so, okay, I, I always lose my train of thought. Um, sorry. Okay, so the, the thing is so, sorry, like I'm stumbling over myself now. Um, basically, trans stories, I think, at this point, should ultimately be the purview of trans storytellers because to do otherwise is ultimately not serving the trans community. Um, it's taking our experience and making it into something that's to be consumed. It's making it into spectacle. So, so the whole thing is that, like, if you look at how trans people are portrayed in media all the time, it's always about the transformation. It's always about the change. Uh-huh. It's always the before and after picture, right? It never just takes us as, as you know, like, actual, like, total human beings. Um, yeah. We're always reduced to this to this one thing that we did one time, right? Like, my transition is still ongoing, but I'm going to reach a point where that's going to be done, right? And I don't want that to be the only thing anyone talks about. I don't want every news article about me from here on to the end of the world featuring a, my before and after picture alongside a photo of me putting on makeup, which is what you always get. Because this it's kind of true. thing, what it does is it reinforces the artificiality or the perceived artificiality, I should say, by placing all the emphasis on that dichotomy between male and female and emphasizing that one person is crossing that boundary. And that's something that we all want to gawk at. That's something that we all want to gape at. That's something that we all want to sort of behold because it's strange and interesting in itself to your sis. Um, and so a cis writer telling that story is, I think, sort of structurally playing into that in a really huge way. Um, it's not a personal story. It's a, 
I hate I hate to use like language appropriation because I think it gets kind of tossed around a little bit heavy, but um, it is. I think this is, is kind of a little appropriative because what you end up with is a cis person preventing for a cis audience someone else's experience that he can never have that he is ultimately removed from. And so that's not the same thing as saying you can only write characters who look like you because I think that's bullshit. Um, because if we did that, all, all we would ever see are, you know, like white males. But um, Especially since it's clear it's to us yeah. today that only white males get to write anything at Marvel these days. So, yeah, so others you, won't. You, um, <laughs> I can't say that. So, uh, I know. Um, what you, I what you, want, you. But So, if you um, are trying to, I'm sorry, you, you kind of derailed me a little bit. Um, where was I? Oh, sorry. That you that you're not saying that right. people should only okay. write stories about characters that are like them, but rather that there's a difference between the experience that is. Well, I'll let you, you you follow from there. Sorry. Right. So it's not just that you can only write characters who are like you. It's that when you're doing doing stories about characters who aren't like you, you have to really be aware that this isn't your experience and that you're you are not trying to tell the story of what it means to be that. So in the same way that when I approach African-American characters, I'm not telling the experience of what being black means because I don't know that. Like, and I said, that's the sort of thing I've thought about. Like, I, like I've got ideas, and I'm like, well, that's not, my, that's not my party. I don't get to attend that party, you know? It's like, whatever my mm-hmm. fucking ideas are, like that's, like, that's not my story to tell, and it's dumb of me to, to, to think that I, that I could. You know, because I'd only ever be guessing, and I'll just be providing an outsider perspective on something that I, that I'm not admitted to. You know. Yeah. So that's kind I of the gist that was of such it. a good explanation. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people sort of danced around that question, and you've just done such a great way of delineating it. So hopefully, folks will understand that. And I, I thought it was I, really, really smart. I chatted a little bit about this with Karen Gillan, um, just kind of emailing back and forth about because. Like, I, I sometimes get kind of worried that I'm going to be the transgender writer, right? And, like, a lot of my, a lot of the stuff that I've gotten development features trans characters. Um, but I, I, I sort of make a point, even in, my, even in my own storytelling, to not be focusing on trans stories, precisely because I'm not really writing for a trans audience. My audience is bigger than that, like, because the comic buying public is only fractionally trans, and I want to make comics that make some money so I keep doing it right so mm-hmm. that means I have to be really aware of the fact that all of my stories are being primarily consumed by cis people that really strongly affects how I talk about and present trans issues so in Kim and Kim um, the theme we were talking about earlier is the only part of the book where I acknowledge that Kim Sue is transgender and it comes up very briefly in a very natural part of the conversation that they're having um, and it's gotten a good amount of, like, like kudos for, for, you know, being very natural and being very um, respectful, quote-unquote. Like, I mean, it's my experience. I can do whatever I want. Um, but but it's I, – I, sorry. Um, it's so say – pardon me. Yeah, okay. So it's gotten a lot of praise for that. But at the same time, like, that's a really carefully managed disclosure. Like, that's me revealing to the cis audience the trans status of my character 
in such a way that I am not making it into spectacle for them to gape at. You know? So, like, if I was doing a story about transition, even if it's my story, that's still going to be, for the kids' audience, something for them to gape at, something to be just, like, oohed and awed, like, oh, wow, this person has changed so much. Look at the before and after pictures. Um, that's not anything at this point I have really, really interest in doing. Um, and that's an experience that, and to be honest, transition stories are boring as shit anyway. They're all super samey. It's the same shit every time. I've heard a million of them. Um, but, like, yeah. So even for me as a trans writer, writing a trans character for his audience, I have to follow all these same rules, too. It's just that I, I feel like as a trans writer, I have a little bit more leeway than someone like Paul Jenkins does. And again, Paul might have the fucking best gen- trans presentation in the world. He might knock it out of the park and make mine look like like insulting, patronizing bullshit. But I still am not sure that's his story to tell and that, that's his place to do it. And he's sort of picked exactly the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. You know, and talking about writing for a broader audience, I, I was... I was interviewed today. Um, well, I was guess I was a guest at the, the the Sci-Fi Network has a new podcast series called Blaster. I was invited on as a guest from the roundtable today, and um, you know we we went around and we were supposed to say what is winning our week. Um, and I was like, I want to talk about Kim and Kim. Kim and Kim won my week. You know, this is such a funny comic, and it and really really resonated for me. And you know, Blaster's audience is like a lot of like straight white dudes basically. And I made the point to say like, you know, this is a comic with a trans character, but this is a comic for everybody because it's really freaking fun and funny. And, you know, I think a lot of times when people think that there's comics that are dealing with representation, they think it's like broccoli, you know, they have to eat it because it's good for them. And that isn't just true with comics that have representation, but that's also just true. I think in sometimes the way people regard indie comics, and the reality is, a lot of indie comics that aren't very good do feel like broccoli. But I was, you know, holding this up as an example of something that, like, no, this is pleasurable, this is fun, this is something that you enjoy because it's fun. Um, and I think that that's what, you know, the sort of broader audience needs to hear and understand, and and hopefully they will pick up the book and and love it the way we have. Yeah, my first priority as a writer is never trans representation. It's to make sure I have a, a story that's entertaining and worth telling. Um, I wouldn't. I would not want to read a comic book that was all just about positive trans representation because there's no story there. There's nothing there that's like gonna make it a positive reading experience. Like I'm just another like maudlin trans story. Like screw that. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think like. You know the the point I the point I was you know to, well for one thing everybody loves the description that you that you gave about you know the book the broad city meets cowboy bebop like that's just such an appealing log line there um, but you're saying like looking at it just visually it's so colorful there's like such like a very candy colored palette to the to the art um, you talk a little bit in your opening description about you know reference points. I mean, the art is by Eva Cabrera, who, who's really great, obviously, and the colorist as well, Claudia Aguirre. Um, but, um, 
you know that you're with you're looking at things like like Saturday morning cartoons as sources of like visual inspiration, and I definitely hear from you in these descriptions and from what you said. It's like you know there's there's anime in there too, right? I mean, yeah, I didn't draw it though. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there um, Ava's coming at this from a lot of different sources. I don't know everything that she's drawing on for it. Um, I really, one of the things I really love about what Ava brings to it is the book is visually just really cartoony. Um, it looks like an all-ages book without being an all-ages book. So it's, it's cool because it's playing with this disconnect between the aesthetic and the content. So it's like a Saturday morning cartoon where there's a bunch of blood and cursing, um, <laughs> which is, I think, a really, you know, interesting like pairing there, these kind of for and sex talk. Sweet. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And like it's just talk, a really frank sweet. book, mm-hmm. right? But like her art is just so sweet and innocent. <laughs> Except you know you have a few scenes of just let her just like boiling with sexual tension. <laughs> but you know it's actually I hadn't thought about this. There really aren't that many comics that have like characters having sex talk. Like comics really do shy away from that. Which is funny because I do too. Like in real life, I am the most like uptight, nervous person when talking about sex. Huh. Well, I would not have guessed that. And I get the impression <laughs> that romantic intrigue and stuff like that are definitely going to be components of the story going on. Um, they're not really intrigue. Like this isn't a romance book. It's not about romantic relationships. There are just relationships that undergird everything that's happening. Um, Mm -hmm. So Kim and Kim have their relationship. And, yeah, there's, like, there's some sexual stuff going on between them. And then you have Kim's tense relationship with her dad. And then you have Kim's sort of complicated relationship with Sar. And then you have Sar's kind of complicated relationship with Columbus. And then you have Sar's complicated relationship with Kim. And then you have... Kim D's complicated relationship with um, this family member of hers who, you know, becomes a factor in issue two. And then you have that family member's complicated relationship. Like, there's all these interconnected, like, relationships just happening over these four issues. Um, But the book is at no point ever about romance or about sex or about sexual tension. That's all just there, just driving Mm -hmm. the decisions that they make. So like when I'm like when I was fleshing out my characters, like I worked out like sort of what their what their relationship web looked like, you know, but not because I thought that, you know, I was gonna tell this love triangle story kind of thing, right? Um the really important relationship that you need to, to understand is just you know, just Kim and Kim. Um this isn't about like sexual or romantic intrigue, it's about this really close friendship between these two people, even if it's not an entirely platonic friendship. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, it's good to just have, like, that, a, a story that's driven by these characters and relationships, even. I think that's, like, what people look in for, for stories. And that, and obviously that this is, like, genuinely funny. I, I can't say, like, there's a lot of things you read and you're like, huh, like you kind of are like, huh, that's funny. But like, I actually like laugh 
laughed out loud like three times reading this, which is a very high. Uh, oh, what uh, what what did it? I I worry that it would be a spoiler of the jokes, but I would gladly tell you after the podcast. You know, I'm going to be waiting in suspense for the rest of the show. I'll be very distracted. <laughs> Sorry. Um. Well, I but uh, I mean I don't want to like super spoiler <laughs> stuff. For it, was a, it was a and joke. Folks, it was a like, joke. Don't even worry about it. Okay, I'll just say. But yeah, but, but this is available on Comixology, so like people really could go and pause the show and download it and read it and come back and join us. In fact, I highly uh, recommend that people do that. do that, even if they've already purchased a physical copy of the book. <laughs> It seems like this, I have also, like, I haven't, this, this being, I mean, essentially, like, a debut comic, I haven't seen, like, an indie debut series get such a universally wide praise and reception, like, really before. I mean, yeah. Brett, I, have you seen I've anything? Been, I'm sorry? I was asking Brett, because he kind of monitors injury stuff. Brett, have you, this is pretty unusual, right? It's a really well-praised series. Um, yeah, I mean, I have yet to see negative stuff about it and as i said like our site we don't always agree on stuff uh actually we rarely agree on stuff and we agree on this one so um for at least us it's a it's a rarity but yeah i mean it i think it was fantastic like uh, you know as the token straight white male like i loved it i absolutely loved it i thought it was a, a great series it's a lot of fun um, it kind of reminded me of like a fucked up version of Spaceballs for some reason, like this is the <laughs> ongoing adventures of of um, of Barf and Lone Star um, and uh, Lone Star. Barf? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Well, I mean, the, yes, there's, no. There's like, something. To be, there's something to be said for that because, like, first off, I need to stress: I saw Spaceballs before I ever saw Star Wars, um, by years. Um, I don't think I saw Star Wars until I was in middle school when they did the re-releases. Oh, that's um, such a like, generational demarcation. Yeah, like my um. Well, the thing is, like I was, I was in, you know, like thirteen, fourteen years old. But like, I'm one of the rare members of my generation who got to first experience it in the theater. Um, but because like my dad wasn't a fan, and my mom doesn't like science fiction, so it just wasn't in my house, you know. Um, but anyway, so like. Spaceballs, um, you know, Lone Star and Barf and then Han and Chewie, that kind of like two people just kind of kicking it, you know, is definitely something I want to do. And I can't say that, you know, the Space Winnebago did not influence the Contessa. I can't say that that didn't happen. Yeah. I'm kind of losing you. Yeah, if you're doing it. So I'll, I'll jump in. Um, what actually got you, usually we, when we kick off the, the the show, it's one of the first questions. We're kind of laid into it, uh, but we, I haven't heard the answer. Like, what actually got you to want to make comics? Like, out of all the things you could do, like, what was it about comics that drew you in? I don't know. I've been making comics since I was eight years old. I, I started making comics when I first started reading comics. Um Somewhere, some in some like dumpster or something, there is a um, this little like 14-page comic that I made when I was a kid about a really thinly veiled Spider-Man knockoff. Um, 
that I just made on, like, line paper. I've been doing this for as long as I can remember in some form or another. Um, it's always been the, my first vehicle for stories I want to tell. So, like, it's, it's hard for me to say, like, what the appeal is about the medium because it's like asking, well, why would you want to write a book, you know, as, like, specifically, why would you want to do prose? Because, like, it's, it's so baseline for me in terms of um, a form of, um, you know, media. Was there any, like, what comics you were into when growing up? Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yeah, okay. So, like, the early 90s X-Men, even though I can only pick it up sporadically and had no idea what was going on, I read that. I loved Excalibur because Nightcrawler was my favorite character in the world. I started reading Spider-Man when I was really young. Um, there was this period of time in the mid-90s when Marvel teamed up with Paramount to do a bunch of Star Trek comics, and I was really into those. I actually had a letter published in one, which I do not recommend people try to go find. I'm now regretting mentioning. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not flattering. Um, okay, um, let's see what else. Um, I was really into Darkhawk as a kid. I loved New Warriors. Um, Green Lantern was always uh, an interest of mine, although I never had a lot of DC books growing up. Um, I didn't get into Superman until college, but now I'm really super into Superman. Um, who else? Those were the main ones. Like, I, we didn't have a lot of money, so I couldn't, like, read a million books. Oh, shit. I loved um, the MC2 universe that Marvel did. Um, so, like, I read all those. I was I read Spider-Girl all through high school. Um, actually, although I was a bigger fan of uh, of, of uh, A-Next when it was running, I thought that was a really good book. I was really into those kinds of older school, kind of a single issue, a single story books that Tom DeFalco was putting out. Like, he was really deliberately sort of bucking the trend in comics at the MC Squared and trying to do this sort of older style of comic storytelling. And you can kind of see that in Kim and Kim because it's, there's an ongoing story, but it's also pretty episodic. Like each issue builds up the previous one, but you can identify, well, this is the issue in which this crazy thing happens. And this is the issue in which this crazy thing happens. You know, so they're all demarcated by every issue has a dramatic arc um, and a goal and an obstacle, you know, so, like, every issue you can read on its own and enjoy on its own. That's really cool. And that's something you don't see a lot in comics. And I think comics as a whole kind of got away from that. Like, I remember back in the day you could pick up an issue and read one issue, and generally you knew what was going on and you could appreciate it. Um, and then if, you know, you let read multiple, then you were in on, like, the bigger arc, but it wasn't necessarily a a uh, uh, had-to-do thing. Like, you really could enjoy one issue here and there. It's just it's not something you see a lot nowadays, and, you know, I, I personally kind of miss it. Yeah, there's definitely... It's, so I try to do a little bit of both, because I like big stories, but at this point, um, I'm still kind of, like, feeling out my capabilities as a writer. And so doing a much, much, much larger thing, where it was just, like, it was essentially a 96-page comic would be doing something that was so, that was strictly serialized, like we see most of the time. Um, I was just like, I'm not sure at this point that I have the chops to string that together well. I feel like I, at this, like, at this point now in my career, 
which is you know a bit later than uh, when I was coming up with the plan, I could probably do it um, pretty effectively. I'm like, I'm pardon, confidently, I mean. But when I was putting together my pitch for Kim and Kim, I was just like, I just wanted to make sure that each issue was accomplishing some concrete goal that was interesting in itself. Interesting. That's when, why. Like, when, very wise. Yeah, it's really smart. Like when putting it together, because the thing that kind of struck me about the first issue is how like well thought out and and lived in the world feels like. You know, have did you sit down and kind of map out this world and universe and how everything kind of goes together and what like each planet's like and and areas or you know was there kind of this big master plan of the world of Kim and Kim? I am making it up as I go along. <laughs> I've been really surprised by that because, like, I've read that in a bunch of reviews at this point that people are like, this is, a, you know, great world building. It feels really well thought out. And I'm like, I am making up planets on an as-needed basis. The whole dimension thing is just kind of to make it so it's not simply planet hopping and we get a little bit more interesting visuals. Um, and dimension... The multiple dimension thing also gives me the freedom to tell literally any kind of story. I just say, oh, well, they're in the cowboy dimension now, you know. Um, like, I just, I kind of wanted to create a universe where there were simply no constraints and I could do anything like it was Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. And it could be justified by the internal logic of the, of the universe. Like, there's a reason I call it the omniverse. The, the fact that it's an omniverse means that they could theoretically show up in an X-Men comic tomorrow, and it would still be logically consistent with their experience of the universe. Oh, and I wish they would. That would be so much fun. But nevertheless. <laughs> but yeah, like, so, like, that being said, in terms of making it feel lived in, that's really deliberate. I'm trying to make sure that um, when I come up with planet names, when I come up with, like, with details, that it fits into a context of a world, even if I'm not giving you all that information. Um, so, like, there's um, there's a planet coming up called Old Hundred. Um, I took first off, like, I think I love really weird names for planets like that. And Old Hundred feels like the kind of thing you could see some colonists settling down and calling their planet for one reason or another, like something that feels like there's a history to that name, right? It's literally just the name of like an old folk tune, but um, I've always just thought that sounded just like really ancient and romantic you know um and so old hundred is i can as i was you know writing the issue which i'm actually still working on on which that planet in which that planet is featured i actually thought through okay if i want my artist to portray this planet i needed to give them some information so they know what they're working with and so old hundred is this planet that is kind of in the middle of this crazy economic boom but it's also really overly crowded in, and so you, um, so imagine like the like old like the city of Old Delhi in India just kind of stacked endlessly on top of itself. Is it's kind mm-hmm. of how I describe it. And so it's really crowded. There's very narrow streets. There's signs everywhere. There's power court, you know, like electrical, you know, lines going everywhere. It just does, it doesn't look like like a safe place. But it looks like a place that's just happening really quickly at you. Um. And so it's not just another planet. Um, and there's a there's a in issue two there's a planet called Quihoolo, which is has this un, you know underwater city in an ocean that is composed of mild hallucinogens. Um, and so everything is these swirling pinks and blues. Um, just think of things just kind of this different feel to it. So it's not just generic planet and a generic planet 
here's a desert planet and here's an ice planet, you know? Yeah, we've we've seen that. That's that's boring. <laughs> but that's just yeah, the regular so, Star Wars. And so like like in um in the first issue we see a planet called Clovis. Um and this is my favorite like page in, in that I may have ever written. Is where I just kind of like once they've landed on Clovis, which kind of does look like a generic like desert smuggler paradise planet, I was like okay, well, what if I just, like, made it plainly clear to my audience that this is all the only part of it they're seeing, but it's not all there is. And so I did go into some detail a little bit in about the history of the area they're in and just sort of weird cultural tidbits about it because I thought, well, I could see Kim Q, who's narrating the issue, being really concerned that everyone's just going to think that this is just what this place is like, that it's just a place where, you know bounty hunters go looking for criminals, right? Um, when instead, I was like, but they had such a great production of Guys and Dolls last year. You know, they had this really great band, you know? Yeah. I, I love that using the band, the music and the scene totally cracked me up. Um, it was a great oh, the, uh, the montage? Too. Yeah, the montage. I was like, why, why not do a musical montage? But they're not always that good. Yeah, but, like, how often do you have someone actually setting it to music in a comic book? Yeah, exactly. I, um, the the song in question, I did kind of write, like, fully write, and it's basically to the tune of Holding On to a Hero. What band is that? Um, it's, it's, uh, Bonnie Taylor. It's uh, an 80s ah, power ballad. Nice. I believe it was featured in Days of Thunder. Nice, nice. Um, do you think you're gonna do? I do you think you're gonna put together like a like a soundtrack playlist for folks well, to I check actually out? Did a, I did a playlist for Pace, um, which is of it, which currently up. It went up yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Um, and it's got like some Weezer on it. It's got some, you know, La Tigra. Um, it's got, did I put bow in it? There should be some bow in it. It's got, um, blonde, blonde, you know, it's, uh, oh, wow. it's, uh, oh, Poison's on it, Talk Dirty to Me, which has the most glorious music video I've ever seen. Um, it's a, it's a really, like, diverse, eclectic thing, which still at every point feels like it's the kind of thing that either would be playing in the background of their lives or they would actually just be listening to on their iPads. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that feels really real. I, I love the idea of soundtracking comics in general. I mean, like, I think I sort of do that when I'm listening to things, sometimes inadvertently, and it's fun getting it from the writers as well. Uh, it's particularly fun when it seems like you and I might have a certain amount of um, shared overlap in musical taste, which makes me even happier. I'll send so. you the list when we get off the podcast. Yay. You'd probably really enjoy it. The very first song is Kids in America by the Muffs, as, in other words, the opening theme to Clueless. Right. The cover. Super, super cool. Yep. Um. I mean, yeah, like it, it sort of exists in all these different ways. I, oh, you know, one question I wanted to ask you was about the character design. Um, since you're, you know, you're working with a, with an art team, and um, like, h- how did you guys develop the specific character designs for Kim and for Kim? 
Okay, so I'm going to kind of try to wing this based on conversations that I've had with Ava and Claudia. Um, because there's not a lot of, like, consultation. They just kind of, like, come up with their looks over, you know, in each issue. Um, so when I first started developing the book, I was working with an artist named Mariah Hummer who came up with sort of the basic shape of Kim and Kim. Um, her version of Kim Q was a little bit more skater punk and her version of Kim D was a little bit more glam than they ended up being, but, like, the basic you know, structure of kind of, like, each one of them is identifiably that character. Like, if you look at it now, mm-hmm. you still see it. Um, so, like, she's the one who came up with, you know, Kim Q's haircut and hair color, that kind of thing. Um, okay, so Kim Q. The way Ava approaches Kim Q is she's thinking... So she's this kind of brash, she's really aggro sort of person, right? So she wanted to give her really confrontational clothing. So it's a whole lot of really just like like straight up, almost stereotypically punk shit. Um, she tends to dress up as kind of revealing, which, is, which Ava is, you know, talks about as being a uh, really deliberate sort of self-ownership of her body kind of thing because she's, you know, because she's trans, like, so she's um, sort of just being really in your face about her physical presence. Um, the way I read Kim Chu is that a lot of what she does is sort of deliberate, it's sort of this, um, how to put it, she's just kind of a deliberate sort of punk poser because she's still feeling out what, she isn't isn't comfortable with in terms of expressing femininity, and so she, her hmm. her femininity being like this kind of like aggressive, forceful thing is her sort of zeroing in on a kind of femininity that she can be comfortable with. Um, so in contrast, Kim D. The way Ava talks about Kim D.'s um, aesthetic is since she's much more sober, she tends to give her um, somewhat fuller coverage with more military-inspired cuts. So there's a lot of, like, things that have been modified by, by her, but there's a lot of epaulets, there's a lot of buttons, you know, there's a lot of long sleeves and jackets. Um, in terms of how uh, Claudia comes in, Claudia gives Kim D much more muted tones to emphasize that she, she just isn't that, like, huge a personality. And so... For the same reason, she splashes Kim Q with hot pinks and neon blues and and um, just lots of lots of bright colors mixed with black. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I I think that a lot of artists just don't consider costumes as part of characterization, and that that's a huge like abdication of their art. Like when artists don't do that, I think they're failing generally speaking. So it was great to see, like, I think that those points are really established in the art that you're doing. Like even with their tattoos, their tattoos make a lot of sense in their context. Like you're really, you guys are really using that. So I think that's great. Yeah. That's, that's uh, definitely all I have on Claudia. Like I said, we don't really discuss costuming. Um, I have definitely learned to trust them um, on that front because they are just Mm -hmm. nailing it. They, have contributed so much to just my understanding of who Kim and Kim are that it would be, I think at this point, almost a little foolish for me to, you know, try to mandate what the Kims were and what weren't. 
they're they're really knocking it out of the park. Um, and they get the mm-hmm. kids in this really massive way that I just love, and it just shines through on every single page that they do. What, what about the That's aliens awesome. of the series? Are you are you like familiar with the aliens, or uh, when it comes to the aliens of the series, like are you putting uh, what you want to see on like certain planets, or is that really the artist just kind of going to town for like background stuff? Yeah, kind of just going to town. There hasn't been too many aliens in the book at this point. There's been a few. There's one yeah. part yeah. where during the musical montage scene, the band, I'm like, one of them should be a giant monster. Um, <laughs> but, like, this isn't a book that's primarily about, you know, like, um, having a lot of, like, aliens in it. And so they just kind of, you know, slip one in where they want to. I guess if Ava's ever bored drawing a bunch of, you know, background people, you know. Um, I, sometimes I'll be like, well, this is a planet that's really diverse, and so I, I want to see more people, like, more different kind, more different, like, kinds of of non-human um, on it, but I never step to anything, no. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It was also interesting to see like two, and it's so bizarre that this is such a rarity that I'm commenting on it, to see two different flavors of attractive <coughs> men in the comic. That's like something that doesn't get to happen very often either. As a, a lot of comics artists assume that there's one way to be attractive uh, and doesn't seem to get that there's different things going on there. Yeah, that and you spelled really- out. Um, no, not really. Both of their looks kind of evolved. Um, both of those characters are also, you can trace back to Mariah's original design, although Ava has taken Columbus in a really interesting direction. The way I originally had talked about Columbus was that he was just going to be, the contrast was that I wanted the really rough and tumble guy. I wanted like, I wanted a dude who was just kind of like, who was muscular and kind of stocky, um, and who you know, kind of dressed in the sort of no-nonsense way, coupled with this dude who would wear, like, really elegantly cut outfits, right? Um, and Ava really pushed Columbus into this more sort of um, David Bowie-style androgyny, which I really, really enjoyed, because that was always sort of an element to his character anyway, was that he always just kind of had that that sort of, sort of gender iffiness about him. But... Like so, what she's done with it is is um, I find just really really interesting because how often do you just see a dude in eyeliner and eyeshadow and like skin tight pants in a comic who is not presented as anything other than well that's the joke about him is that he dresses really gay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically it's this, it's Jam. And it's everything, and it's various like Karen Gillan, Jimmy McKelvey stuff. Like that's that's pretty much it. And it's worth noting, I read both tons of Gillan McKelvey and Jem, so I can't oh, yeah. say that I'm not standing on the shoulders of giants there. Um, I've been really influenced <laughs> by them in terms of making sure that I'm including just lots of different kinds of people, um, you know, in my in my work. Yeah, though, those are great influences, obviously. So, some of my favorite. Um, oh, you know, yeah, I, me too. I, Peter, I, Dylan is consistently one of my favorite, consistently my favorite writer. 
Yeah, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. I, we've, we are huge fans here. I've written so very many words about phonogram. Um, and it's so, it's just not even phonogram. like phonogram popular, but that's like, I'm going to have something I'm going to want to talk with you about phonogram later. Good. Cause I don't have enough people to talk about phonogram with. It kills me. Um, I force it down people's throats, but you know, but yeah, it's definitely like music fandom is like in your comics for sure. And oh, really, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. You're the first person to bring that up. I, there's, I've read at this point probably 13, 14 reviews, and no one has brought, has brought up how much this book draws on, on rock subculture. Jeez. I mean, like, Quattro, like, that's like Squeaky Quattro reference. Yes, um, exactly, exactly. That's exactly I don't, where I got it. Yeah. Okay, well... I'm glad that we're having this conversation because it seems oh, pretty clear to me. So happy. That makes me so happy. Like this is a book, this is a book that's 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 kind of about two best friends starting a band. Mhm. I mean, there's a guitar. You know, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and when in issue two, when we finally actually meet Tim's dad, um, he's jamming out to a Peter Frampton song. <laughs> that's interesting. You know, and um, I also just think, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. Because there are some interesting moments where this is like, where that where this connects back to our world. Like the Beatles are in here. You know, like William Blake, the poet, is in here. Like, wait, the Beatles are in there? And yeah. they're the Beatles. I I thought that her like bib. Um, babbling to herself about I wish I was a liver was a Republican was like making a rhyme oh, about shit. that. Right. Oh yeah. Oh God. That was that was a little song a friend of mine wrote in college that I was like, that'd be a fun thing to have her whistling to herself. But yeah, it's a little song, you have to sing that in the um you have to sing that in a um Ringo Star voice. You see exactly. Like it's it's a world in which the Beatles are so much part of culture that you don't actually quote the Beatles to still be referencing the Beatles. Um Yeah. So it's tied to Earth, like in the real world in some interesting pop culture ways. Yeah, the way I think about Kim and Kim is it takes place in what I call sort of an amplified present. Um, hmm. My baseline is always modern day. My baseline is um, definitely like I just sort of like they, they um, in the second issue we see Kim's phone. And it's just kind of an iPhone. Like, everything is working off modern analog. They have, they're driving a Volkswagen combi cruiser, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So none of it's supposed to be totally off the wall. Like, it's, it's all supposed to be kind of rooted in our experience. Um, there's um, references to specific movies in later issues. Like, at one point I described everyone as getting breakfast flubby. <laughs> you know, because like, like I there was not there's not a need to construct a whole fake world when we already have this really cool world we're already in. So what I'm doing doing is injecting a bit of a bit of like sort of sci-fi craziness into our own experience. I like the philosophy. Yeah. Because to be honest, what's that's all Marvel comics is right. I mean. Their whole philosophy was, all right, this, these are comics set here and now. 
in real places in New York City, but also the Fantastic Four are fighting Galactus, you know, like in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is a part of everyone's life. So Marvel Comics is also amplified present. I just sort of ratchet it up a little bit, but only a little bit more, because, like, in Marvel Comics, you have, you know, Taylor Swift is out there on tour, and, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is in space, like, fighting the scrolls, you know? Like, and that's all part of the same sort of universe experience. Yeah. So it's, I just sort of dialed I, that I, up I, a little mm-hmm. bit. That's cool. I mean, I think it gives you more of a place to connect with your audience and obviously is a good site of humor. Yeah, and I don't want to, like, have to, like, make up fake pop culture references because the characters are going to make pop culture references. They're sort, they're those kinds of people, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, what I'm not going to, like, make up some, a bunch of fake bands for them to talk about when I could just as easily bring up real bands and real movies that you have connections with as a reader. Why, why shouldn't I play off your existing emotional connection? Yeah. I like that approach. I like I it. I do, too. <laughs> um, so I, I should know this. Is this going to be – is this an ongoing series, limited series? This is sadly a four-issue mini. What? This book runs through October. Um. We have had conversations about doing more, but nothing has been confirmed at this point. Um, I actually just shot an email to Black Mass the other night about it. Um, but no, I sold I sold four issues, and four issues are, is what it's getting. And then I hope it gets a trade or something, and then you know, never can buy it again. But no, wow. the, 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 like this, this will probably not be the last we see of Kim and Kim. Um, I would be very surprised if Kim and Kim only lasts for these four issues. Um, I, what I think is probably most likely is that we'll – this is just sort of me guessing. These are not based on conversations I have with my publisher. I don't want anyone to think that I'm announcing anything. Um, what would make sense for me, based on how I know about how Black Mask operates, is that we simply get another four or five issues next year. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's, that's cool. what I would expect. Yeah, and this this something is I, that this is smart though because also this is self-contained, but the world is big enough that you could really keep going as much as people give you space to do so. Yeah, that that's the idea. Is I wanted to create a book where I could just sort of I could keep it going forever because of the nature of how I sort of built that universe. Um, I could just sort of keep it going perpetually. And the basic struggle, you know, like, even something that's, on, that's, you know, finished by the end of these four issues. It's not like, you know, I sold a, a story about, like, a big apocalypse or, like, a big, like, massive scary thing that happens, and then it's over, and then you have to justify another big scary thing for them to, you know, deal with later. You know, every adventure that the Kim's going to go on is just kind of just, like, shit coming up in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I can do that forever. <laughs> And I'll be enjoying reading that. Have you, have you thought what a second volume might be? Yeah, I have. I have, like, a, a big list of story ideas that I want to do for them. Um, at this point, I have a pretty good idea what I would do. 
Like, I have a general direction for it. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, do you, are you, like, plotting things out kind of like a bigger, or is it just you have ideas in the future, or you're focused on this volume, and, you know, you'll worry about the yeah, rest? Yeah, I don't, I don't, if things I don't, happen. like, develop things super far in advance. Um, I generally have, like, an idea of the sort of thing that I want to do, and then when I get to the part where I'm actually dealing with it, then I deal with it, because I have a lot of other pots, you know, boiling right now, um, like other than Kim and Kim. So... After I wrap Kim and Kim, I have, like, I have another pitch I'm going to be turning in next week. That's, that's it's almost done. We're just waiting for colors on one page. Um, and then we turn that, then we're going to go ahead and submit. We, like, we have a, we have a, a, an editor who is, you know, interested in seeing that. And I have another thing that I'm developing with, um, you know, a couple other people that we're, I'm hoping to have, an issue scripted by September, and then I've got uh, something else I officially want to pitch to Black Mass um, that I would do before I get another volume of Kim and Kim. So, like, I just can't work, worry about what's going to happen in the next volume of Kim and Kim when I have to worry about what's going on in these, like, five other things I'm developing. That's I just try to what stay focused like- on the thing I'm actually working on. That's great, though. I know. You, I, what have you learned? I, I love that you're becoming a, a big voice in, in amongst young, upcoming comic writers. I'm excited to see that. We'll see. Maybe this is all I ever sell. Who knows? What do you think about that, like, the reaction? I mean, seriously, the comics, I haven't seen, you know, negative things. Everyone seems to be praising it. Um you know, as a writer, like, how do you react to that? I have been shell-shocked for the last two days. Like, I never in a million years thought it would be like this. Never, never, ever, ever, ever thought it would be this thing. Um, I, I kind of thought that my fan base, at this point, like the people who were anticipating the book, was largely restricted to the sort of queer comics audience, which is not small but not huge, you know. Um, and I just kind of figured, well, that's going to be who this book moves, moves this, you know. Um, that's that's going to be the, the people this is, this is going to be. You know, I'm probably kidding myself if this is going to get a really huge, um, a really huge release. And. <laughs> There had been a lot of, like, hints for, you know, for a little bit just where it was going and a conversation out with my publisher and um, just kind of a general, you know, sort of hugely positive response that Black Mask has been getting. And then coupled with um, how positive the reception was to Jade Street uh, last week, which um, was a book that had kind of been flying under the radar, um, so it's not like I didn't have any information, but this this has just really just been very stunning and very um, humbling and a little overwhelming, you know. The the number of Twitter followers I've gotten in the last two days, to say that, it's it's just really it's really shocking um, to me. Like, and the weird thing for me is that like mm-hmm. I just sort of like I sort of don't even know how to respond, you know. It's like this is. 
conversation that I've had with a few other, you know, pros I know is that this is kind of like sort of the dream debut, you know, and like most, this doesn't like, this just doesn't happen very often that a, that a first time creator has this kind of breakout re- you know, response and I'm just like, I'm not even really sure what my next steps are at this point. I'm not talking about this in therapy. You're, say that one more time. You're something about. I'm gonna have to talk about this in therapy. My response <laughs> to this whole thing. I think it's. I think it's excellent. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, a, like a fan community grow around it because there, like, a lot of comics now where you have writers who are like engaged in social media. Like, you really do get the feeling of a fan community around a book. Like on Tumblr, like Wiktiv has a huge fan community. Um, you know, that I didn't really quite discover until I read, I wrote a review of one of the issues. Um, but I think like when you're, you know, when you're finding your, your followers growing, you know, people, you know, tweeting, texting stuff. I, I had, um, there's a new Tumblr that does like, I guess it would be like, uh, tabloid style quick write-ups of new comics that are out that just started the other day and I was like telling him that he needs to do Kim and Kim which he checked out he did a piece on that like you know and we were seeing like there already are people on Tumblr you know using the Kim and Kim hashtag um are they mm-hmm, not many but there's a few of us and uh so I think you know you have this potential to build like an active fan community which is something that you know is really good for the book yeah and that would be really cool. Um, I've definitely got, like, a, a sort of dedicated core on Twitter that um, have been really, like, aggressively anticipating the book. Um, I just sort of kind of figured that was sort of all there was, you know. It's, uh, it's a little weird to, to see the extent to which it penetrated beyond that. Yeah, definitely check out stuff on Tumblr. Um I mean, Tumblr is such. A I don't really know how to use Tumblr. I'm a, I'm like a, a sad old lady. I don't really know how. It, it scares me. Well, we'll have a Tumblr date. It took me a little bit, but now I feel like I get it. And like, yeah, I'm very old for Tumblr, but yet, yet I'm here. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's Tumblr is just huge for like young people, particularly uh, you know, women or and and also non-binary people and in comics and stuff like just like fucking huge. So. Yeah, I've gotten that sense from it, but, like, I just, I've never been able to figure out how to, like, navigate it. Yeah, and it's a, it's its own thing. Like, I think each social media platform has its own way of conducting yourself and a way of relating to people. And, you know, I, I do a lot of this as part of my, like, other job, so I'm just sort of in it a lot in general. But I know that it's not something that creators necessarily expect to have to do, but that a lot of creators have, you know, really not known how to do it all and it's caused problems, but the few who really get it, I think it's been excellent. So, well, are there comics that you think we all should be reading other than Kim and Kim that you want to tell us about and recommend? Okay. That's cool. As many copies of Kim and Kim as you can afford. All of them. Um, Don't end Okay. So I'm a really big fan of Silver Surfer right now. Um, Squirrel Girl, um, Paper mm-hmm. Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck, like my poll is just teeny tiny right now because I am poor as shit. 
Um, I was really, really enjoying Venom Space Night, but I kind of fell out of that. But it was a really, like, a charming as hell book. Um, I don't even, I'm not sure if it's still running because I had to take it off my full list. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, love, I love Hellcat. Um, yeah. Hellcat is doing so much better than I thought it was going to, which uh, makes me really happy. I was really worried about that book um, going in. Um, I'm really yeah, loving uh, Action Comics right now, like post-rebirth. Um, I think it's a really cool take on Superman that I'm, I'm definitely really, really enjoying. Um, let's see. Um, phonogram, obviously. Everybody should read basically any of Kieran Gillen's creator-owned work. Um, the guy is a genius. The thing about phonogram that like kind of, kind of messes with me if I feel like something really important is happening, I'm just not sure what. You know, it's like it's a it's a really layered book that's kind of hard to immediately wrap your hands around. Um, but it rewards multiple readings. I feel like, like that with a lot of Kieran. It absolutely is, and that's one of the things I love about him is that he writes comics the way I always want to write novels. And I have I have a um a book in development right now that is sort of me trying to reach a little further in that more literary direction. Um, we'll see if it works. <laughs> yeah. When when it comes to well, writing your story, like how how different is it writing like a, a literary like a prose novel versus comic as far as developing the story itself? Um, I couldn't really tell you because I, uh, that's something I really only learned how to do effectively when I, when I started writing comics really seriously. I used to be very much sort of just sit down and type shit, you know, school, but when you do that, um, you don't get any, at least pardon, I don't get anything done. And when I tried to plan things out, I would get so overwhelmed by my story. I'd get so intimidated by my idea that I could never get anything done. That's one of the reasons why I switched to doing this kind of, just kind of, um, life's the wrong word, but Kim and Karen is not a literary book planning for imagination, and it was sort of, it was sort of a, 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 it was almost a writing exercise for me, just sort of like getting this specific thing done, you know? Um, and I've been like doing doing stuff with this uh, with this outline process that I use for a couple of years, and it's really effective. Um, Kimmy Kim is the first like ongoing application of it in a consistent story. Huh? I imagine though, just knowing what I know about writing, the process is probably pretty similar. You outline a chapter, I outline an issue. You know, like you're just, you're just thinking through your story in terms of chunks. Right, it's sort of like you come up with your big idea, and you come up with your slight with a few slightly smaller ideas that give you a big idea, and then you get really specific with those smaller ideas until you have something that you can, you know, work with. Like by the time I even get to yeah. scripting, I know it's happening on every single page. Oh, that's interesting. Makes sense. It's very formalist. Yeah. 
but with the you know the kind of limited space that you have, it's, it's definitely necessary. Um. Yeah. 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 I have. I'm actually running into this wall right now with issue four, where it's feeling right now really crowded. Like I'm hitting my page count, but the pages themselves right now are feeling a little jammed up. So I'm like trying to ease it up a little bit more. So I'm using my space more effectively, even if not more efficiently. <laughs> well, I guess it's the sort of thing that, like, you're you're using certain muscles and it's just going to get stronger. Yeah, definitely. Practice, 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 you know. That's how you get to Carnegie Hall. But, yeah, I mean, like, honestly, like, for, for, for new work from a, you know, a newer, newer – comic writer I mean I just think everybody is on board for this and, and you should be really I would hope you know happy just because of the enthusiasm I mean like one of the other guys on the sci-fi show uh, on the sci-fi network podcast with me who's you know like you know he's not necessarily the person who would be necessarily seeking out this book had already heard about it was really into it and enjoyed it a lot like it's it's getting around so we wish this all yeah. the success we can manage and get and well thank you so much voice we need in comics and it's something fun and funny that we need in comics so so well, um, thank you uh brett is there anything else we needed to hit up today no i, I think we we covered a hell of a lot of ground so where else can our listeners find you online um, I'm on Twitter at Mags the Sags. That's M A G S V I S A G G S. Awesome. Oh, I have a website that's now. It. I forgot. I just launched it. Uh, you have what? Um, now? I'm at Magdal a website. I just launched it. Oh. Um, I'm at MagdalenaSaggio.com. It just went up a couple days ago. Mazel tov. Love it. Cool. Well, cool. we'll have to get drinks again soon so we can talk about phonogram. <laughs> no, totally. I'm going to message you as soon as I get out of this. Because I, I, I have a specific thing I want to talk to you about. Okay. That's I'm phonogram. Re- it's not about phonogram. It's phonogram related. Okay. Anything. Anything related. I'm all about it. Fuck yeah. So, so Brett, <laughs> um, I guess next week, are we, are we, um, oh, next week is the 11th. We don't have anything booked yet, but we will. No, no, no. That is the next week, Jeremy. No, he is the 18th. Guys, guys, oh. Jeremy Whitley, who's got a Sorry. new book coming out of Marvel from Marvel, starring all of our favorite female superheroines, is going to be joining us. Also, slash Jeremy Whitley, who writes Princeless and Raven the Pirate Princess, and is just like totally boss dude. Slash he is Jeremy July Whitley, 18th. delightful human being. Oh my yes. god, he's my favorite. One, one of the nicest really people is. in comics. Really, yeah, really good. Fantastic guy. Fantastic guy. He's given me a lot of tips on terms of talking to business types, which oh, I did cool. not know how to do. <laughs> he's, like, he's like the best, and his shit is so good. So, um, But anyway, so yeah, he'll be joining us on the 18th. Um, the 11th, we may have a different uh, comics writer, or it might be us giving you an update on things happening in the comics world. But you can find me on Twitter at Elana, E-L-A-N-A, 
underscore Brooklyn and also on Tumblr at Ilana Brooklyn. I'm consistent. But who's even more consistent is Graphic yes. Policy. Yes. Uh, you can find us, of course, at graphicpolicy.com, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. We definitely keep it consistent. Stay on brand. I've learned that. Uh, so you're easy to follow, and of course we'll have tons of news, uh, especially the comics, and you can go find an awesome review by one of our contributors, Logan, about Kim and Kim on the site. Just you know, go and search Kim and Kim, and it be, should be one of the top things to pop up. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. Uh, if you came in late, want to listen again, share it with people, whatever. Uh, it will be up on iTunes and Stitcher in about probably an hour or so, uh, and then we will download it and upload it on SoundCloud and on um, up to our site uh, sometime probably tomorrow afternoon so you can catch it then as well listen to it on the go, go or share it with your friends but as always oh, thank you very much yes sorry one last thing I want to make sure people know is we have a special um, piece from uh, oh yeah from Regina um, up on our website she is the uh, Regina Sawyer is the founder of Women in Comics in New York, and she has a piece about Iron Man and, and about black women comics writers, and folks should go check that out. Yes, that will be that should be at the top of the site. Um, I think that's the top story still, mm-hmm. so it should be on our carousel uh, right now. You can go check it out, or no, it's the second one on the carousel. Nope, third one on the carousel. No, 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 fourth one on the carousel, sorry. There's a rotato. Find. Go to our it. website, read it. Yeah. yeah, you'll find it. It's pretty simple. Uh, but yes, ab- absolutely, everyone should go check that out. Uh, it's fantastic, and thank you uh, for Regina uh, for actually uh, writing that and allowing us to post it because it's awesome. Uh, but as I said, you can catch us at graphpolicy.com, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you can listen to and check out uh, Blog Talk Radio. We will post uh, post up details so you can figure out what's going on. Uh, But until next time, as always, thank you for listening. It's much appreciated. Uh, I am Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. Keep it geeky.